Welcome back to part three of our look at the world of Christendom on the World History Podcast. Um, I got to make a correction, or not necessarily a correction from the last podcast, but in addition to the last podcast, I forgot to bring up with the Byzantines uh, that they um, are critical for Russia and their conversion to Christianity. Um, they had a debate about whether to join uh, the Byzantine version of Christianity, the um, the Western Roman Empire, the, the Catholic version of Christianity, or to uh, follow Islam. And uh, Kiev and Rus will decide to go with uh, Christianity, and more specifically, uh, Vladimir of Kiev will determine to go with the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, and this is because they had really good connections there with trade with the, the Byzantines as well as uh, they're on the Dniepr River, which connects with them. And um, they they kind of like the ideas. Um, Vladimir, when he converts to it, will make it voluntary for everyone to, to adopt. And uh, he will also adopt the Byzantine culture. That's why we call um, the what will eventually become the Russian Empire Emperor Tsars. Uh, it's, it's the Russian translation for, uh, Kaiser or Caesar. And, um, they will also adopt, uh, the language. Um, well, not necessarily the language, but, uh, the Byzantines will help them develop a language. Um, so you get the Cyrillic alphabet there. They'll help them with their architecture. Uh, and so we see a, a major connection there with the Russians. And that's why the Russians follow Eastern Orthodox Christianity, um, why they're not with the West on that. But uh, now moving on from that, we're going to be taking a look at the Western Western world. And this one's, uh, I'm going to try to keep it as quick as I can, but there's a lot of information we're going to go into here. Uh, we got things like the Crusades. We got things like the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to see a lot of stuff going on here. Um, so I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet, but uh, I apologize if this takes a, a while here. So uh, political life back in the Western, uh, Western Europe. Uh, Rome falls, you have no centralized government anymore uniting all those people. The only thing that kind of does that is, is the church. Um, and so everything reverts to kind of very being very agricultural based. You don't have a lot of uh, large urban cities or centers or anything like that. Uh, and um, the population uh, in some of those cities like Rome goes from a million people at its peak around 100, 200 CE to only 10,000 people. Um, which it kind of, it's interesting to think about what it would be like to live in that city then when it's only 10,000 people um, and just all the, the empty houses and everything else that are there. Um, and so uh, what happens with the fall of the Romans is the barbarian tribes take over. So you get things like the Franks and the Burgundians and all those guys, uh, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths take over different regions. Uh, but they also want to look very Roman. Um, they will uh, do some things and decrees in Latin to show that connection. Their coins and on their coins and uh, other things, they'll try to look like Roman empires. So we see a lot of that. We see them continuing their law codes um, in that they, they don't want to see those disappear. Uh, they, they follow the European tradition that good laws make good government. And um, the greatest example of a strong barbarian leadership um, an empire would be the Franks, uh, especially under Charlemagne, uh, where he creates an imperial bureaucracy. He standardizes the weights. He forces conversion to Christianity. And he will be crowned as the new emperor of the West by the Pope after he goes and saves the Pope. Uh, this will lay the foundation for the Holy Roman Empire. 
I like to say this is the start of the Holy Roman Empire. There are many historians that disagree. Uh, more will say the start of the Holy Roman Empire was Otto I. Um, because after Charlemagne, his, his empire gets divided up between uh, his three sons. Um, one will take most of France, or what will become France. One will be placed in the middle. And then the other will take most of what we'd call Prussia or Germany at that time. Um, or the region of Germany. And so uh, the two on the outside, though, uh, will take over the one in the middle and kill them. And uh, the western one will become what will be the basis of um, France. The one that's in France will become pretty much France. And the one that's in Germany will pretty much become the Holy Roman Empire, but it won't be until out of the first that it gets united. Uh, but the Holy Roman Empire saying that it's an empire is kind of a joke because it's more of a confederation. It's not a very strong centralized government, and it's a bunch of lords under that uh, emperor that uh, proclaim loyalty, but there's constant infighting, uh, especially as you get further south towards Italy. Um, it's not really holy. Uh, you don't have any real um, uh, religious leader leading it. It's not like the pope has much of a say. Uh, instead, it's kind of the pope and the emperor constantly fighting with each other on who really has the power. And it's not Roman because it's based out of Germany. So it's it's kind of a good little joke for us historians. And um, that's kind of the biggest empire you get. You get other kingdoms. So we see the rise of France. Uh, they start to come about. You get the rise of uh, what will become England. Uh, Scotland's its own separate thing at that time. Um, Ireland is, is part of England. So you see those. You see the rise. Well, Spain will slowly uh, be making its reconquista to take over Spain uh, or reconquer Spain from the Muslims. Uh, so we see that kind of stuff happening, but there's no kind of centralized unifying authority between everything other than the church. So uh, what we call this society or this governmental structure that comes up is known as uh, feudalism. And so you have a king or some type of monarch on top, and then they have lords who are known as their vassals. And anyone under them is, is a vassal. Uh, or if you're loyal to that person that's above you, you're the vassal of them. And so you have lords that are his vassals that he gives land to control and really manage it. And then under the lords, you have lesser lords or you have knights. And then under the knights, you have peasants. Peasants do all the grunt work. Um, they, they do the, the, the land. They do um, the specialized jobs and things like that. And in return, they'll get protection for their services and goods that they provide for the knight, lord, or the uh, king. This leads to a practice uh, known as serfdom, uh, where pretty much they're slaves, but they're not slaves. They had uh, rights and things like that, and um, they don't have absolute freedom. Though, like they can't get off their land; they have to stay on their land and, and keep working. And their sons and daughters have to stay on that land. Um, so uh, it, there's not a lot of freedom there, and uh, this leads to a system known as the manor uh, manor system or the manorial system, and so. Um, Everything's kind of based in small towns, uh, around small towns where you have a, a local lord or a local leader that uh, is kind of your, your go-to person if uh, that's running things and making sure things happen. Uh, and if something uh, bad happens, like you got invaders coming in or, or you got a raid coming, you can go and hide there. There, there should be a little fort there to protect you. So um, we see everything really go to the, the small scale, and it's um, because of that shift of, of uh, lack of over or, or protecting things. Uh, force over everything or protecting a, a leader over it um so uh christianity again fills that void of that lack of uh leadership there uh they're going to be the main people that are educated uh they're going to send out missionaries to the pagans uh, and they work on getting the leaders to then convert because then the leaders can go in and, and chop off people's heads that 
uh, are not following it. So um, we see them kind of taking those tactics, uh, not necessarily the way that it was done back in the Roman Empire, but this is going to be kind of how we see Christianity progress um, uh, here in Western Europe, as well as when we get to the Americas and other regions of the world, uh, where it becomes you convert or you, you, you figure out which God is the true God pretty quickly. Um, this is kind of similar to the spread of Buddhism, except Buddhism isn't as violent. Um, but the top-down approach, going to the leaders and getting people under them to convert, um, does it. And um, they will, as they're going and spreading the, the faith, they will um, adopt or incorporate pagan traditions uh, to it. Um, so, like right now, uh, just to make things controversial, we're going into the uh, Christmas season. And, uh, well, a lot of the practices that you have for Christianity uh, come from uh, pagan traditions. Uh, the, the putting up of lights and gold and stuff like that comes from a Roman practice of Saturnalia. Uh, the evergreen comes from a German tradition, I believe. And so you have these, these things going on that get incorporated and, and morphed into a, uh, morphed into the Christian, uh, religion. Um, and, um, because it's the uniting force over everything, all these people are adopting it, uh, it, in return, the uh, leaders get legitimacy for their rule, and so the church says, yes, you're the rightful person to be leading. Um, however, this will lead to a problem, especially in the Holy Roman Empire, and who gets to then appoint uh, bishops because the Pope will say, well, he's the one because, well, they're a religious position, um, whereas the emperors will say, well, uh, we were put in this place by God because you guys have kind of said that, and these are also local administrators for us, and so I need them to be loyal to me. And so you get something known as the investiture controversy where you have this fight going on. Um, it'll lead to the Holy Roman Empire being excommunicated, but him doing a nice little move and getting forgiven by the Pope uh, directly. Uh, but um, it'll lead to the Pope's the only one that can point, appoint bishops. Um, so uh, that's kind of the basics there with uh, church and society there. A lot of things revolve around it. Um, a couple things, though, that I do want to mention uh, that aren't necessarily in the book on that are um, one in the West we had the uh, shift of the priest had to be celibate that was part of that fight over in the, in the Great Schism so we have a major difference there uh, as well as um, it might seem weird but uh, the church services and everything like that were done in Latin because that was a tradition so it wasn't done in in Frank or in in the territory of the Franks in, in Frankish or anything like that or what would be the basis for French. Um, it's in Latin, and so as you get progressing and people know less and less Latin, less people know what's being said or being talked about in that stuff. Um, and the Bibles aren't translated into anything other than Latin, so you have to be educated to be able to follow that stuff. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Shoot. Well, if I remember it, I'll, I'll, I'll jump back to it. Um, but uh, moving on, uh, in the West, we see a lot of change coming about, especially as we get later uh, into the Middle Ages, because we see a lot of technology coming by, um, and we see invasions coming about. So um, the first invasion is, is from the North, uh, from the Norsemen. Uh, the Viking invasions really uh, shake things up. Then after that, you get the uh, Muslim invaders coming in. Uh, they'll come in through Spain and take over all of Spain, but be pushed out by uh, Charles Martel uh, from their encroachments into France. Uh, where it'll become France, and um, you also see that happening in the West with the um, with the Ottoman Turks, and they'll take out the Byzantines and try to start pushing into Eastern Europe, uh, where you see Austria will fight them uh, pretty consistently there. 
Um, the population will grow. Uh, so we go from the low point after the, the fall of the Roman Empire to where we get better and better agricultural, or we get better with our agriculture, and you see um, and there's better stability. So we see the population rise from 35 million in 1000 CE to 80 million in 1340, which will lead us right up into the Black Death, which will then take that down pretty quickly. But all this um, growth in population means we need more space for our towns and stuff like that. So you have a lot of deforestation going on. And we see people starting to reclaim the wetlands, which is something that you did under the uh, more sophisticated Roman Empire and stuff like that. Um, and we see two independent, um, well, not necessarily independent trade networks, uh, but we see two uh, kind of specifically European trade networks really influencing um, uh, people here or whatever, uh, in Europe, uh, we see the Baltic Sea in the north, uh, that revolves around kind of wood, beeswax, fur, rye, uh, wheat, salts, and wines, uh, so you see that being traded, and you get these Baltic states, or these city-states that come about, that, uh, really focus and thrive on that trade, and then we see a continuation of the Mediterranean Sea trade, uh, in and around Italy, um, they're bringing in things from the Silk Road, and so you see silk, um, medical drugs um, or medications and medicines and stuff like that, precious metals and stones and uh, spices all making their way through through that. Um, and so over time, as things get better and better and better, we start to see urbanization coming about, especially with the larger populations. With the more food, we can support people not growing their own stuff. And so you get people moving to the cities to get out of the cramped countrysides or what feels like it's being uh, a cramped area. Uh, but they're not, they don't get as big. They're, they don't get nearly as big as what Rome used to be. They don't get anywhere near what China's doing or in or in Baghdad or any of the other major cities. So um, they're still much smaller than what you see in the rest of the world. And uh, over time, in the last about 300 years or so, 400 years of this time period that we're looking at, uh, so around 1,000 on forward, um, you see the kings and the monarchs starting to really consolidate their power and really get the borders of what we'd say are the modern day uh, countries. So we see France really developing. We see uh, the English really developing. Um, Germany and Italy, not so much, um, but Spain, uh, they'll be conquering, or you got the Reconquista going on there. Portugal's there. Um, so you have those kind of coming about. And um, yeah, so that's kind of everything there. And then with women, um, because of the lack of centralization, lack of a central power, um, you have women having more rights. Very similar to what we see in China when the empires fall. Um, women kind of get and raise up in social status. But by 1500 or so, it's going down again. Uh, technology has improved. Um, uh, religion has gotten a little bit more conservative and is limiting things on them. So um, we see their, their position going down. Um, and so to look for that freedom, um, to get away from kind of just being controlled by men, some will go into, uh, the church, uh, and become nuns, but that's kind of the highest they can go. They can't go any higher because women aren't, uh, allowed in the church uh, or in leadership positions anywhere. Um, and then restrictions come on that in, in after 1300 or so. Um, and then some participate in their own, uh, kind of, um, uh, businesses uh and they start to do or at least they start to they try to supplement their incomes with weaving and and doing other things and helping each other out uh but that'll again be shut down um 
So we we see kind of women being pushed down uh, in this, uh, with uh, men being more and more focused on, and uh, because they become the the provider, and there isn't a lot of although it's not as stable. There's a lot of smaller scale wars. There isn't any large, really really large wars. The the exception to that might be uh, the Hundred Years' War uh, between uh, England and France, uh, but even that's not um, constant. It's not a hundred years of constant fighting or anything like that. So um, that then leads us to uh, the last part of this, which is looking at the Crusades. And so uh, this is looking at kind of what's going to be the rise of the West in Europe and the fall of the East. And... Um, what happens in 1095, uh, the emperor of Constantinople goes, hey, we, we need some help. We need, we need to push these Muslims out, uh, these Turkish people that are coming in and trying to take us over. We need to push them out. And so um, the pope uh, at the time goes, yeah, okay, we'll help you out. And he sends a decree. And so you have the first crusade that happens in 1096. Uh, and in return for their service, the soldiers are going to be forgiven for their sins. Um, any debts they have will be halted. And uh, they can't be sued for, for what they're going to go do. And the First Crusade is actually successful. In 1099, they captured Jerusalem and they set up small, or, sorry, four small kingdoms in the Middle East. But all those will disappear within 200 years. So by 1300, they're all gone and retaken by the Muslims. Um, you'll see several more Crusades. The Second Crusade is a complete failure. The third one is the next most famous one after the first uh, it might even be more famous at times because uh, you have Saladin versus um, Richard the Lionheart of England, and you have these great battles and these two great leaders going at each each other. But uh, really, for the Europeans, it doesn't do anything. Uh, the only thing they secure is rights to be able to go on pilgrimage in Jerusalem and not get killed, which um, they really actually could have done under the Muslims already. Uh, but when the Christians took it over, they slaughtered everyone and didn't really let any of that stuff happen until they learned to accept the people more as they ruled there. Um, the Fourth Crusade is the only other one that's really, really um, well mentioned or, or focused on in history, and that's because that's when the Christians go sack the uh, go sack Constantinople and really pretty much put the put the Byzantine Empire down and and set it up for its eventual fall. Um, outside of going to the Middle East, you have the Reconquista going on in Spain, where they're putting or pushing the Moors back further and further and further, and, and that'll end in 1492. Um, you have conquest going on in the Baltic with Germans um, and Scandinavians being converted and uh, the end of kind of the paganism up there. And um, so all of this going to these regions, getting more Christians and Scandinavian and Germany and in kind of Eastern Europe, um, reconquering Spain, having successful con conquest in the Middle East, strengthen uh, Europe, or at least Western Europe. And the Pope gets a lot more power out of this because he was able to tell all these people what they could and couldn't do. And it brings in a lot of luxuries and it gets the rich going like, oh, we really miss these things. We, we want to get more of the silk and spices and everything else. And they're also going to bring up back treasure troves of um, of learning materials and, and things from the academics over there. And so that comes back and this is going to set us up for, um, for the Renaissance. Uh, the one downside to all of this is we see a major outbreak of anti-Semitism uh, with as the Crusaders are going to 
the Middle East, whenever they run into a Jewish town, they go and go and kill all the Jewish towns or the Jewish ghettos. They, they go and kill, and instead of going all the way to the Middle East, because that's a far way away, we can raid these pagans that are here. And so they go and do that and then bring the plunder back home. So that's really the, the major negative there, other than, I mean, just it's, it's a holy war, so that's not great either of fighting going on between two religions. But uh, that's kind of the other major negative there is that Jewish anti-Semitism rises. And so we see this being... Um, this will be a continuous theme in, in Europe with uh, Jewish peoples that have been kicked out of Israel um, through the diaspora are still being persecuted most in most regions of Europe. So that's all kind of for Western Europe there, at least the rise, uh, the rise of it during it. Uh, last thing we're going to take a look at is the comparative perspective.